ready to get into the word of the Lord today, say, oh yeah. Say cowabunga. That's an old word, isn't it? Okay. We're going to be continuing on and finishing off our series this month on Go. Ready, set, go. Our, our uh, vision for this year has been threefold vision. It's a gather, grow, and go. And we have done a month talking about gathering, a month talking about uh, growing, and now we're doing a month about going. Go, go, go. And uh, this is our last teaching this week, uh, for this month. But next week, I want to encourage you that if you are thinking of coming to church next week, invite someone new. There are very special people who come twice a year. They're called our CEOs. They're very important. They're Christmas and Easter only. And we would love them to be able to come as well. It's always good to get together uh, at Christmas and Easter as well. That may be the only time that they do come to, to be together with the body of Christ. So invite them. Uh, we actually have yard signs to invite people. If you live in a tower block, just put it outside your window or something. That'd be funny, eh? Um, we actually have some uh, uh, yard signs back there as well. We'd love to see you. I'm going to be reading from a scripture this morning from Matthew chapter 14, and it's a story that appears in every one of the Gospels. That's how important it is, and it's about when Jesus was going to feed the 5,000. Now, I'm going to read the first line, and then I'll do a quick explanation before we read the rest, and it says this in verse 13 of chapter 14 of Matthew. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. All right, so what had happened? <clears throat> Maybe some of you know. When Jesus came into the world, there was actually two people that Jesus, sorry, there's two people that the Father sent into the world. There was Jesus and there was John the Baptist. You probably heard his name before. And John the Baptist had the task of making way, making the path, making people ready to receive Jesus. In fact, John the Baptist turned out to be Jesus's cousin, and even when they were both in the womb, it says that John the Baptist flipped in the womb when both their mothers came together. They were born at the exact same time or the exact same year, put it like that. And John the Baptist had a calling of making the path ready, making the people ready to receive Jesus. How are we ready by receiving Jesus? We're made ready by being in a position of repentance. In fact, that was the calling of John the Baptist. He had the, the gift of being able to uh, 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 call people to repent. In fact, when he used to baptize them, he would baptize them in a pool of repentance, and he was the guy who baptized Jesus. But there was one particular person that he pointed out their sin and said, you need to repent and turn, and it was the king of Israel, Herod. And he said to him, listen, you are the representative of the people of God, of the nation of God, and you're in sin. You've stolen your brother Philip's wife. Her name's Herodias and you've stolen her. You have no right to do that. And, and the king would get embarrassed and he locked him up in prison. But Herodias was quite a manipulative person and she found a way to force the king to have to kill John the Baptist. And when she did it, she wanted it to be very public and she wanted it to be very shameful. And she said, I want John the Baptist's head, Baptist's, Baptist's head on a platter. And so they killed, they, cut, they killed him and they cut off his head and put it on a platter and then brought it into the royal court. And on the heels of that is where we begin with this story where it says when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Why? Because he was in mourning. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. 
Now, the last thing you want to happen when you're going through a difficult time or you're mourning and you want to get away from everybody, you want some time by yourself, the last thing you want is for a whole bunch of people to turn up and say, hey, can we have some more from you? It's a little bit like being at work all day long and all you do is you work hard, you work hard, and you work hard. And the last thing you want to do is go home and clean the house, right? Anyone weird that really wants to clean the house after a hard day? You, you get home, you're like, you know what we should do? Let's clean the house together. Hallelujah, Jesus be glorified, right? Said no one ever. No one wants to clean the house once you've actually been working hard. Imagine what it's like when you're grieving, you're grieving. The last thing you want to do is go work and help and serve other people. And so continuing on, it says, but when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, Jesus, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed them to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men beside women and children. So they only counted the men in this. They didn't count the, the women and the children. So let's, let's take a basic number of multiplying that by three. There was probably about 15,000 people that were actually fed that day. I love the scripture when it says that he looked at them and he had compassion on them. I'm gonna be honest if that was me, I would be wanting to go, let's go further up the mountain and get rid of these people who keep sucking us dry, right? Let's, uh, these losers that keep hanging on to me, let's get rid of them. I'm already going through a difficult season right now. I just can't take this anymore. And we lock ourselves in the bedroom and we get a beer and a Netflix, right? And then we try and just kind of shut down. Is anyone with me on that one? Yeah, okay. And you shut down. You wanna shut the door and shut the world out and shut everything out. The last thing you want to do is go help anybody else when you're in a difficult place. And the amazing thing is of how many people are in life right now who are doing amazing things and we look at their lives and we're inspired by it, but we don't necessarily have the ability to do it like they do. That's what, at least what we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves we don't have enough to be able to do it. I think of like someone like Mother Teresa who was a Bulgarian nun who was called to go to India, not just to serve anybody, but to go to the lowest class, the untouchables, the, 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 the caste where they, where they were only given the, the basic menial jobs and were not allowed to be physically touched by anybody else because they were considered unclean. And she didn't just serve those people, she served those that were dying, who were sick, who were ill. And she would cradle the babies, the dying people in her arms. She's an inspiration to everyone. And even today we talk about her. One of, our, one of my favorite phrases that she said that I love is, uh, one of the greatest diseases is to be nobody to anybody. To be nobody to anybody. And when I think about her, I think about that she is the perfect image of compassion. But what is compassion? Well, we know that word passion, it means this. It means a deep feeling or emotion as love or hate. 
But compassion is something a little bit more. It's not just a passion for something. It's a passion for someone. It's a deep feeling for another, followed by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. I think of someone else in town that I'm always inspired by. His name's called John Barris. And we actually partner with a group in town. It's a, it's a clinic, it's a Christian clinic called Choices. And, and we support them, as in many of you support them, to, to raise money for what they do. And what they do is they give young women who are in a pregnancy crisis another option for their child. What they don't do is run into their lives and say, you can't kill the child, you can't do abortion, you're in sin. They don't do that stuff. They basically say, we've got another option for your child if you'd like to choose that. And what John Barris does is he spends, listen, six days a week outside of an abortion clinic just shouting out to them saying, there's another option for you. And then when the women are coming in, he's not berating them or shaming them. He'll just tell them, hey, if you'd like another option for your baby, you might be in the position where you don't, you, you don't have the ability to actually have a child. This other clinic will, will support you emotionally, financially, and spiritually, and, and they'll help you come up with solutions even if you have to adopt the child out. Listen, there's another option. He does it six days a week in the hot sun. Wow. How is it, here's the thing, how is it he's able to do great things? How is it he's able to expend that much energy? But when we look at problems in the world, we start coming up with reasons why we can't do it. We get to the place where we look at the battle of our lives and we say, this is all the energy and the time that I have, right? And this part, sorry, this part is taken up by my wife right here, right? This part's taken up by my children and it kind of fluctuates back and forward and I got nothing left, right? I've got my job, I've got my business, I've got, maybe I go to group or maybe I'm the one on the, the, the homeowners association, right? And these people are just really difficult to live with and it takes up all my time and all my energy. And we come up with reasons of why we can't give out anymore to other people. Yet we're inspired by someone like Mother Teresa or John Barris or, or Martin Luther King or people who have given up their lives to serve other people and we wonder, how are they able to do it? And I can't. It's a difficult position to be in because it can put you in the place where you start to feel guilty for not doing as much as you think you should do. So I've got this question of how are they moved to do something? How, especially if they're in a position where they don't have much in their battle, or if they're at the bottom of their battle like Jesus was, he had already gone through this emotional trauma of losing his, his, his right-hand man, John the Baptist. He had nothing left in his battle. He had to go out to the countryside to be by himself, to try and be with the Father. How was he able to keep giving to people when he had nothing left in the tank? Well, it's because he was God. He always has something in the tank. No, no, no. He was human as well. And I believe that he ran out. How was he able to give? Well, I believe there are three ways that we are motivated to give to people. Three ways that we are moved to do great things. The first one is this. We're often moved by our intellect. Now, this is what the disciples did when they were, uh, cut, when they were trying to deal with the solution of hungry, whole, you know, thousands of hungry people in the countryside. And it says this, as evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and said, listen, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy some food for themselves. I think guys are often the most guilty of this. We go into solution mode, right? 
As soon as we see a problem, we try and fix it, right? So they looked at their barrel and said, Jesus, listen, we only have five loaves here and three fish. That's all we've got. Everybody knows. If you try to divide that by 15,000 people, we're not, everyone's gonna get one scale each from this fish, right? It's not gonna work out. We don't have enough in the barrel. Send them away. Let's fix it by that problem. But let's fix the problem by that way. I think sometimes, we, guys, we do this in our marriages, right? Wives, if you feel like saying amen and then poking your husband in the ribs, feel free to do that as I'm about to say this, right? What we do is our wives comes and tells us their current challenge, the current issue that's in front of them, the current problem they've got to try and deal with. And then what we do is we go, well, you know what you should do? <laughs> and here it comes. This is what you should do. You should do A, B, C, do this, do that. That will fix the problem entirely. How many of you have done that and it totally worked? Right? No hands, okay, that's right. Oh, one hand, you're dead later on, brother. I can tell, <laughs> see it in your wife's eyes. Okay, so, so we, we do that, we get into solution mode, and like, well, this is how you fix it, and then suddenly it doesn't seem to work. Your wife goes, what are you doing? What, what are you saying? Well, you told me your problem, and I'm just trying to fix it for you. I'm trying to tell you how you should do it, and it doesn't work out. Right, and then you get to a place, and I had done this, and listen, this is, this is what I had done with my wife. I literally told her, well, if you don't want me to give you a, a solution for your problem, don't tell me your problems. <laughs> I actually said that, right? That's why I've got a few pounds missing on me, right? Because I was being starved by my wife, right? So, so it's like you're in that position where you think you're smart and you're like, there's a problem, there's a solution, and that's how you approach it. Listen, that is a solution mode. We go into solution mode. I'll tell you what I, I've learned to do with my wife, just as a piece of advice for anyone who's dumb enough to not know this stuff, right? You should say this. You should say, have you, have, what, what are you gonna do about that then? Ask a question. Okay, what do you think God has, has God said anything to you yet? Why do I ask down the word yet? Because I'm not, I'm not implying that she has to hear something now and she might say no. Then the final one is this, well, what can I do for you? Right, that's, that's as simple as it takes. I have to stop going into solution mode every time that I go. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't pop up every now and again. Do you know why? Because I'm a guy, it still keeps going through my head, right? Well, you know what you should do, blah, 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 blah. Shut your cake hole, Peter. Just listen to your wife, right? Now, that's how we often approach things as guys. We often go into this solution uh, uh, way of doing things. But here's what I found, is that solutions are often dictated by facts. We're looking at facts of the problem. Here's the facts. I've got this huge problem, and we've only got these little fish and these little loaves. I don't have any solutions to this. And we're going facts, facts, facts. Here's what we should do. We should send the problem off. We should send 5,000 with their wives and their children. We should send them off somewhere else. That's the solution to the problem. But what I found is this. I found that that doesn't always fix it. I found that as a guy. In fact, one of the things that I've learned I've had to do is when I see something that is a problem or I see something as an opportunity, I've had to turn my how into a wow. I want, to, I want to encourage you to do this in your marriage. So instead of just saying, if your spouse comes up with a solution, instead of just saying, well, how is that gonna work? 
How can we do it? It's like, it's like you know, when your wife comes up with a huge project in the house and you can't afford it, it's, that's not our current problem. It really is, right? And, and, and there's like this thing, and she goes, we could do this, we could do that. And the first thing that goes through my head is, how are we gonna be able to do that? How are we going to be able to afford it? I've had to learn to stop saying how because how sucks the life out of big dreams. It sucks the life out of big opportunities. It's not a problem you should see. You should see it as an opportunity for God to shine. Instead of saying how, convert it into a wow. Wow, what's the next steps? Wow, what's, what, what can I do to try and help this go to the next step? You don't have to know all the solutions. You don't have to know what all the, 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 the steps are to make this all work. Just because you come across a problem that you don't understand, guys especially, you don't have to figure it out every time. Woo-wee, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to fix everything. I don't have to come up with solutions. No, if it's, a, if it's a God vision, then make it a God problem. If it's a God challenge, then make it a God problem. Put it on his plate. Listen, God can move through you. God can move through your spouse. God can move through your family to create amazing things in your family. Number two, the first one was to be moved by your intellect. The second one is to be moved by your emotion to be moved by your emotion. <clears throat> My wife has been uh, uh, watching a Netflix show, I think it's called uh, Tenant Nightmares or something, and Slum Landlords or something, and, and it's a British show, and it follows you know, these, these terrible tenants, and it follows terrible uh, slumlords, and, and it just goes back and forward. And we noticed that the amount of, of, of uh, landlords that are having problems with their tenants that don't, don't pay their bills, right? And yesterday we actually watched one, and there was one particular landlord who was now losing the house that he was renting out because the person hadn't, hadn't uh, uh, paid the rent for 18 months, right? And you're thinking, what? I'd smash all the windows and jump in there and just kick them out, right? And, and you're like, how could they go so far? And the problem is, is that sometimes what we do is we, is, is, well, what we found in the show was we noticed how many of the tenants said, well, I just felt sorry for them. I felt bad for them. And they gave the sympathy to the, to the, to the tenant. And I'm not saying there's, that all landlords are good, but most of the landlords that were having problems with their tenants is they kept giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to the point where it started to affect their family to the point where it was stealing from their children, to the point when they were going into bankruptcy, that doesn't help anybody. And we start giving out of our emotion because we feel sorry for the person. This is what I call a bleeding heart. A bleeding heart mode is this is when a person is at the bottom of your battle, but they're not at the bottom of their battle. You see, what happens is we measure people by the pain that would affect us and would change our lives. Well, they're desperate. They're obviously going through a difficult time right now, so obviously they're at the bottom of the battle. They're not, they're at the bottom of your battle. The difficulty that they're going through is something that you feel pain with, but their battle goes all the way down deeper. And sometimes what we do is we jump in to try and fix things in people's lives because we think, oh, they're at the bottom of their battle, but really what you're doing is you're stepping in to do God's job. You're stepping in to try and fix a problem when maybe God wants them to get to the bottom of their battle, which is way much deeper. You see, when you're at the bottom of your battle, you're more likely to say to God, I'm ready, I surrender, I give up, I give in. And God wants to do something in our lives where we are broken before him. But someone who is not broken before him is someone that God doesn't trust. 
And if we jump in to fix things for people without knowing whether God wants us to do it, we're in trouble. Years ago, I had this experience where there was a young guy who, who had a car that was broken down. He needed his car to be able to get to his job. And I said, well, just take it to my mechanic. When will you have the money to pay for it? He said, in a week's time. So he took it to my mechanic, got the car fixed. He went and picked it up and didn't pay for it. And the mechanic called me up and said, hey, I thought you said that, that he would be able to pay for it in a week. A week has come and gone and he hasn't paid for it yet. So I called him up and I said, hey, what's the problem? And he said, well, I, 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 something happened, so I'll have the money in another week's time. So in another week's time, he, he, he said he would have the money and didn't pay for it. The mechanic called me up and I'm like, oh. So I went down to the mechanic and said, I'll pay for it because I don't want my reputation to be ruined by the mechanic. Then I went down the road and I said, hey, you, why didn't you pay your bill? And he said, oh, I still didn't have the money yet. When will you have the money? In one more week's time, three week passes and he still hasn't paid for his bills. I'm getting angry. I'm getting bitter. I'm getting upset. And one night I was lying in my bed and I'm like, God, why did this happen? And I felt God just said something in my heart and he said this, I never told you to pay for that car. I never gave you permission. And I realized I felt rebuked because I had helped him because he was at the bottom of my battle, not his battle. You following me? When you give out of emotion, you are not giving out of God's battle. You're not giving out of God's multiplication which then takes us to the third one. If you're not giving out of uh, intellect and giving out of emotion, you should be giving out of compassion. When Jesus landed, it says, and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. How was it that he was able to keep giving to people when he was at the bottom of his battle? It's simply because of this. I believe that the Holy Spirit came upon him. I believe that he felt God's heart you ever notice that all the gifts of the Spirit and all the ones that are listed like peace and hope and, and whatever the other ones are and long-suffering, right? I can't remember what they all are. There's like nine, nine gifts of the Spirit or fruits of the Spirit, whatever they are, right? Not one of them is compassion because I believe that compassion is the presence of God. Compassion is when you feel God's heart. When I was at Bible college years ago, I... Um, I, I, I uh, uh, I didn't want to be there, to be honest. And uh, we had a tutor called Rose Dowsett, and she would sit down with you every other month or so and ask how you were doing and, and how's your studies doing and stuff. And I sat down, and I said, oh, it's doing fine, it's doing fine. She's like, anything bothering you right now? And I said, you know, yeah, you're right. There is something bothering me. Can I tell you what's bothering me? Is that all we do is study, 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 do papers, theology, 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 and we don't do nothing with it. We don't do anything with it. Oh, we don't go out and tell people about Christ. We're not doing any mission work. We're doing nothing. And she goes, okay, well, why don't you start something, right? And inside I was going, me? I'm paying you to start something, right? That's what went through my head. Yep, arrogance. I was arrogant. Okay. <clears throat> but the other part of my arrogance went, well, fine, I will do something. I'll show you, right? And I went off and did something. And I took this little poster and I put it up in the, the commissary and hey, anyone who wants to learn how to street evangelize just to turn up in this room. And I was thinking they were all gonna come through because they all have the same passion I did, right? And no one turned up except six people that are 300. Yes, that's the future of the church right there, right? They had six people that turned up. And I'm like, okay, well, I've got, I've got my paper. Here's, here's the training. And <clears throat> what I'm gonna do is you've got 10 questions. It's really easy. You'll, what you'll go out is you'll just say, hey, we're from the Bible college down the road and we're just asking people about faith. We've got 10 questions. You mind if I just ask you about your opinion about those things? Everybody wants to give their opinion. That's really easy, right? So we had these questions and the first one is, have you ever thought much about the Christian way of life? And it's either a yes or no. 
The second one is, if anyone told you, if anyone said the word Christian to you, what, do you, what does that mean to you, right? Hopefully that opens up the door and, and gives you more explanation. And then the final question, number 10, is actually, can you think of any reason why you wouldn't want to give your life to Christ, right? I had it perfect. I had the formula. We were gonna get people saved like nothing on earth, like the streets of Glasgow. Look at me. This is gonna be amazing. We're gonna start a revival at the Bible college. And so I trained up these people. There were six of them. I sent them out two by two. And then I realized I was by my myself. I didn't have a partner. What am I going to do? So I went downstairs and went to the, 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 the food and mess hall and uh, everyone was eating their lunch and I shouted out and I said, hey, can I have everyone's attention please? Can I just ask, is there anyone here who would like to come with me to evangelize on the streets? I just need some more people. Crickets. Nobody wanted to go, right? And I'm thinking, oh, this is terrible. I said, well, I only need one person. The one person that stood up is this short guy with a sandwich in his mouth that was the angriest young man I've ever come across. And he goes, I'll come with you, like this. I'm like, no! I don't want this guy. He's gonna be angry. He's always arguing against people and telling them how they're wrong. I'm like, this is not gonna win anyone to Christ. I'm like, fine, let's do it. So I took it, got my piece of paper. I'm like, here's the questions. You zip it. I'll ask the questions and we'll go out and get people saved. So we go out in the streets and we start, you know, hey, would you have a, excuse me, do you have two minutes? Hi, we're just, uh, uh. no one's asking, no one's answering, no one cares, no one's stopping. And we met this young guy who was sitting on the steps and went over to him like, well, he's stationary, let me go ask him. Hey, we're from, the, we're from the Bible college down the road, we just got a few questions, we were asking people to find out what their opinions are. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? He's like, sure, no problem. So I said, hey, first question is, have you ever thought much about the Christian way of life? Nope. Okay, number two, uh, if anyone told you the word Christian, what does that mean to you? Nothing. Uh, this is not going well at all. And, and, and so I go, so what are you doing out here on the streets anyway? And he goes, I'm homeless. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Um, so, uh, and then the young, short, angry guy beside me goes, I used to be homeless once. I grew up in an alcoholic family and my father was, pretty abusive, and when I was about 16 years old, I decided to run away from home. I remember just stuffing my bag and packing my bag, and I ran out, and I was on the streets for quite a few days, and there was one night, I was out, and it was pouring rain, and it was freezing cold, and I was just sitting up against the wall, and I remember just crying and saying, God, why am I in this position? And he said, and, and as I cried out, something just came upon me that just said, it's gonna be okay. And I don't know if that was God that was speaking to me, but I just trusted that God was gonna make everything okay. And today, I'm, I've, got my, I've got a place, I've got a job, I'm actually at Bible college too, and I found that if you cry out to God, it will be okay. Do you mind if I pray with you today? And the guy goes, okay. So we sat down, we prayed with him, blah, 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 and I went, well, it's time to get back home, and we better get back to the Bible college, and we went off, and we just went back, and there was a joy in my heart, there was a thrill in the other guy's heart that something had happened, a moment had happened, but something had struck me. How is it that this guy had the ability to connect with that guy, and I didn't? I'll tell you why. Because I had the calling, but I didn't have the compassion. You see, many of you have the calling of God and you can feel the calling, you can hear the calling, you see the great things that God has called you to, but there's something missing within you that when you go and try and do something, when you feel the guilt or the urge that you should go and do something, you're missing something and it's that fuel to go touch people. It's the fuel of the compassion of God that comes upon you like a coat and helps you feel what the Father feels. 
You see, compassion is when your heart feels what God feels. Jesus felt what God felt. How do you get this compassion? There's two ways I wanna suggest that you're able to find this compassion. The first one is this, is that you should have some time with God the Father. Because this stuff is more caught than taught. It's not something you can study and just learn. You've got to spend time with the Father. Just in the same way that you can read the reactions and the emotions of your spouse. You don't, they don't have to say something. You just know what they're feeling just by looking at them. That's the type of relationship that God wants to have with us. That when we see what God is feeling, when we see what he thinks and see what he feels, we feel it too. That's compassion. And I'll tell you, one of the easiest ways to discover that is that if you suffer yourself. Many times we're often asking God, why am I suffering? Why am I going through a difficult time? Maybe it's because God is preparing you for compassion. How is it that Jesus felt all this urge, all this desire to feed those people? I'll tell you why. Because God had put him in the desert for 40 days as well, where he had to fast for 40 days. He spent time with God, and he went through the emotion of suffering in the presence of God. Here's the question I've got for you today. Is your current suffering preparing you for compassion? Or is it only preparing you to start conserving everything you've got? Well, we've got to conserve everything. We've got all the difficulties we've gone through, we've got to conserve. We can't give any more. I can't spend any more time with you. I can't, I can't give away to anyone else what God's called me to. That'll just have to be put in the back burner. I've got to try and conserve what I've got because that's all I have right now. I've only got five loaves and two fishes. All I, I can't give any more. God doesn't want you to give out of your battle. He wants you to give out of his battle. And he doesn't want you to give out anything until you feel his heart. Because when God moves, he wants you to move. Is your current suffering that you're going through, do you see it as a way that you're being prepared to give compassion to other people? God's called us all to great things. I firmly believe it. He's called you to something amazing. We need to stop measuring ourselves by our current problems and current suffering. And expect that whatever you're going through right now, if the Father is in charge of your life, then he's allowing you to feel it for a reason. He's allowing you to experience it for a reason. 40 days is a long time to not eat, but let me tell you, when you're hungry for 40 days, can you imagine how much Christ must have felt when he did see the 5,000 who were hungry just for one day? Whatever God has called you to, he will empower you with his presence. He'll empower you to feel what he feels. Are you ready to feel what he feels? Are you ready to experience that? Because if you say yes, then you're gonna to have to experience his heart. You're gonna to have to experience what other people are going through by going through it yourself. You see, Mother Teresa didn't just go to India because it was an easy job and she got paid well. She went to India to become poorer than ever herself. But in the middle of it, she became wealthy. Wealthy in God. Wealthy in reputation. Wealthy in love and in knowledge. And whatever you're going through right now, expect that God is training you for reigning. You are in training for reigning. You are in training for compassion. As we end this service, I want us to, to take a moment as we stand to pray a prayer of repentance. Because if you're giving out of your intellect, you gotta repent. 
because you're never gonna figure out the solutions for whatever you're going through. If you're giving out of emotion, you gotta repent because that means you're moving out of step with God. But what we want to do is invite the Holy Spirit to come on us like a jacket that just covers us and wears on top of us. Father, we just wanna start off with repentance and ask, Lord, that you would forgive us, our Father in heaven, that you would forgive us for being too smart for our own good, for applying application of our intelligence and deciding that things can't be done. Are you ever sick and tired, Lord, of us telling you what you can't do through us? We ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness for, for feeling sorry for people, for, for, for only giving when we felt the pain. We're sorry for taking away from our family, from our children, from our spouses by giving something that we had no right to give that belonged to them. And Jesus, just as you uh, uh, were able to take the, the, the loaves and the fish and give it to the disciples, it multiplied in the hands of the disciples. I pray that we would be in, in the same funnel, in the same river, in the same flow down of compassion that started with you. And the compassion that you felt, Jesus, I pray that, 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 that we would have the same compassion upon ourselves, that you would come, that the passion of the Father would come upon us like a jacket and you would wear us, you would be on top of us, that we were able to feel what the Father feels so we can act. We can act in such a way, we can go in such a way that we are not depleted, but the kingdom of heaven becomes our resource. Holy Spirit, I pray right now, as we breathe in, that we receive your Spirit, that we would experience the Father's heart this week, that we would see people and we see situations and we would suddenly in a moment feel what the Father feels for them. It's the type of sons and daughters we wanna be. It's the type of disciples we want to be, where we're useful at the right time. I pray now that the Holy Spirit would fill you up from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. That all striving and all fighting will be done with. And all power would come upon you through the power of the Holy Spirit. May God bless you and may he keep you and may he make his face shine upon you.